0: Hey Pastor Josh here, thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 9 in our Bible today. Matthew chapter 9 if you want to turn there. And we have been working through a series I have titled, Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview. I want Jesus' worldview, I want his worldview alone, and I want to see through his eyes. Really, one of the challenges as a pastor and one of my jobs is to take the text before us, the ancient text before us, and to import it into the 21st century, and to help us to take the principles and meaning of the text then and apply it now. It's almost like having glasses on, lenses that Jesus was seeing through in his day, lenses that Moses and Abraham were seeing through in his day, in his culture, taking the same lens and trying to get it into our culture so we can now see clearly in our culture. What is God up to? What is he doing? How is he calling us to love him? How is he calling us to love and serve one another? And so that's what we're doing each and every Sunday as we open our Bibles um, we are doing Bible study together. I know it comes in a form of preaching, and uh, maybe it's, um, it's an enjoyment to get motivated and pumped up and encouraged and a bit convicted, but more than anything, what I desire is that you would see as Jesus sees, that I would see as Jesus sees. This is the most powerful thing that could happen to our minds, to our hearts, to our eyes, and uh, each and every week, he is challenging us to walk with him, to follow him. Not the culture, not the ways of the world. There's great things going on in our city. There's terrible things going on in our city. But at the end of the day, we are called to follow him and keep our eyes on him. Amen? Yes. The title of the message today, if you're taking notes, is Communion and Relationship is Better Than Ritual. Communion and Relationship is Better Than Ritual. Heard of a story, maybe you heard this one too. This is uh, these guys, one One guy was walking across a bridge one day and he saw a man standing on the edge about to jump off. He immediately ran over to him, he said, stop, don't do it, don't take your life, what are you doing? And he says, why shouldn't I? And he said, well, there's so much to live for. And the guy's like, what? Well, are you religious or are you atheist? And he says, well, I'm religious. The guy says, me too. Are you Christian or Jewish? He says, Christian. He says, me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? He says Protestant. He says me too. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? He says well Baptist. He says wow me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? He says Baptist Church of God. He says me too. Are you Original Baptist Church of God or you Reformed Baptist Church of God? He says Reformed Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation 1879, or Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation 1915? He says, I'm Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformed of 1915. He says, oh, really? Well, then forget it. Die, you scumbag. And he pushed him (laughs) off. (laughs) It's just a joke. But it really is funny, you know, because how do we get so caught up in religion and ritual that we miss the entire picture? You say, what is the greatest commandment? You say, love God. Well, how do you do that? Jesus says, love people. Love one another. This is how they will know you are my disciples, by your love for each other. Yet when it comes to the way that we love and serve each other, we miss it sometimes so great. We're so caught up on these little rituals, these little religious things. There's always a new religion on the horizon. And I always wonder as I listen to people why they think it makes them better or grows their relationship with God. Really the heart of the question. Why does this make you better or why does this grow your relationship with God? People over the centuries have adopted all kinds of rituals, and they believe they'll actually bring them closer to God. Some of the latest we have in our culture is burning sage or having giant salt crystals around your house. Now, I think they look cool, but they make you more spiritual. They may give off good vibes, but do they make you holy? You're a better person or... Maybe potentially because it makes you a little happier because of the way the pink hits or some, the, the candle lit in the center or the, 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 the ions that it's giving off. Maybe gives a little more positive vibe, but is it really cleansing you spiritually? And then sage, of course, you know, we have the burning of sage. Hey, it may smell good. Some of you are like, smells terrible, I hate it. But you're just burning a plant, right? It's nothing more than you make it. And the same with yoga poses. If you use them to worship gods, that's weird. But if they're just stretches, they're just stretches. Even eating or not eating certain foods or eating certain foods together. Is this bad? Is it spiritual? How so? Do spirits enter the food before you know it and you eat it? Oh my gosh, I had a demon-possessed piece of meat. Or is it just unhealthy to eat those foods together? It will make you sick. People have spiritual journeys they take and go on, and other people call them hikes or traveling to interesting places. It is what you make it spiritually, you see? The demon is not in the fabric. The demon is in the idea. It's it's the spirit of the matter. It's the heart of the matter that is the problem. For thousands of years, humans have been taking the things of God dragging them in the mud and making them sinful and we are called to grab them and take them all back and make them godly to put them in the right place we redeem all things we can redeem like in 98 99 of the things on the earth so when people say that's evil I say why are the pigs evil or is it Jesus sending the demons into the pigs that makes them demon-possessed. Oh, it's the demon, the spiritual thing that makes them demon-possessed. The pig, there's nothing wrong with the pig. We have to think this through. This outward plays a part, but it's not the root of the matter. Outward definitely plays a part, but it's not the root of the matter. There was old religion and ritual fully around in Jesus' day and he was setting the record straight around what God really meant in these things. We have people still upholding the religious rituals of the old and believing that somehow in the surface act of doing them something magical or spiritual is taking place when their heart is not even in the matter. This is the problem. This is what Jesus talks about today. It's a great conversation. I love watching the Lord do these conversations. We're in Matthew chapter 9 in our Bibles. We're going to look at verse 14. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 9 in our Bibles, we always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we are reading. Not mine. Remember, my words can never change you. God's word will change you forever. And so we want to look at what he has to say. We want to meditate on his word day and night. Then we will be like a tree. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. Take a look. It says, Then the disciples of John came to him, Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved let's pray father we ask that you would please please Lord would you minister your scriptures to us now would you open our hearts would you open our minds would you help us to listen spiritually not just physically on the surface help us to understand what you mean what you've always meant what you've always desired Give us wisdom. Lord, give us clarity in your text. Minister to us by your Holy Spirit, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Last week, we saw Jesus having a meal in Matthew, the tax collector's house, with sinners, remember? Jesus was eating with sinners. He was getting sinner cooties all over him. He said, what are you doing eating with sinners? These people are dirty. What's wrong with you? And Jesus, sitting with Matthew next to him, who was the dirtiest of them all, a tax collector, a thug in society, and Jesus put his arm around him and welcomed him in and says, this is my guy. This is my disciple. And he's actually going to write one of the Gospels, Matthew. And he says to those religious leaders who challenged Jesus about sitting and eating with sinners, Jesus said, it it is the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. I have come to save sinners, not the self-righteous. Don't you get it? The physician is here with the sick. Let the feast continue on. And so they're probably still in Matthew's house right now. The text doesn't tell us that the scene changed. They're probably still there sitting around the table, and maybe 30 minutes have gone by, and a couple more come up and know that Jesus is hanging out over at Matthew's. And so they walk in, and they start asking him more questions. Verse 14 says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your your disciples don't fast? The crew that approaches the Lord with this conversation is important to look at. It's John the Baptist's disciples. John the Baptist, his crew, rolls up. And they are not coming at Jesus attacking him, but it seems that they are asking a sincere question. You must remember that John the Baptist was a bit extreme. Do you remember who John the Baptist was? This guy was a beast, remember? Again, probably beard, long hair, like no haircuts at all, okay, ever, right? It's just long and just like Tarzan-like everywhere. And then the text tells us that he wore camel fur. He wore a camel coat, okay? And he had a giant leather belt that he wrapped around him. Maybe like a giant camel poncho. He just like, just had a hole cut in the center of it and you just drop it on him. And then a big belt around him. It says that he ate locusts for lunch. He's like, oh, there's a bug, yummy. And he would eat that thing in front of people and wild honey. But he was also a beast in the way that he preached. He was a prophet and he would stand there. Jesus called him the greatest of the prophets because he was doing what? He did the greatest thing anyone could ever do, point people to Jesus, point people to the Messiah. He says, the one who's coming, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. It's not me. Don't follow me. You need to follow him. Behold, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John the Baptist had the privilege of baptizing the Lord Jesus. But John the Baptist, his disciples, like him, were radical, they were extreme. I remember uh, when I first started walking with the Lord, I, I had this really crazy radical mentality with everything. I always had to go to the extreme with everything. It was like, the day I felt God resurrect me on the inside, I'll never forget that night. There was a guy who prayed for me after a sermon and the lights just turned on. I don't know why, that was my day. The next day I woke up, I'm like, I had this crazy idea. I'm bringing my Bible to school. High school, 17 years old, I'm a senior. I'm, like, I'm bringing my Bible to school, it's on. I think I actually was a junior. And uh, I was getting after it, and we started a Bible club on campus. I was vice president of my school, and I remember, you know the butcher paper? You could, like, uh, you could write stuff on and post it on the walls. I wrote the Ten Commandments on them, and I posted them on the parking lot of the school and with examples of people breaking the commandments of God. Hey, this is what it is. You, yeah. And... Uh, and yeah, and the, the, the vice principal came up to me and said, Josh, you got to take that down. I'm like, no, I'm not taking it down. I'm, I'm like that kid, right? Um, I used to wear a, a Dickies jacket that said Jesus Christ on the back of it with a big cross. And the people, when I walked down the hall, say, Jesus Christ! I'd be like, yes, praise God, you know? i get in debates with the teachers and with the kids, and I, I was very extreme and with no wisdom whatsoever, no wisdom, no tact. Just bulldoze people, you know? And as you grow older, you know, you, you, you learn a little bit of tack, and you grow in some wisdom, and you stop acting that way. But John, had, John the Baptist had to be radical. He had to be radical because he had to call the Jew. He had, he had to get their attention, which he did. And so these disciples of John were probably also very radical. Radical in their demeanor, radical in their look, and radical in their ritual. Um, Christians, many of you who have been walking with God for a while, you know that over time, though a pastor or a shepherd or a leader is calling a church to do one thing, sometimes they will take it 10 steps deeper, further than which was intended by the shepherd or the pastor or the theologian, whoever it may be. And they, they literally, they take it and they go 10 times further than, than what was being said. It's like, Okay, we're going to uh, we're gonna build a house for this guy and, and uh, let's bless him this week. That's what we're going to do. And then they go on a mission building houses for everyone for the rest of time. They think that that is the mission. And then it becomes all about building and all about this and all about that. And they literally lose sight of the initial vision of what was being done. People do this all the time. And John the Baptist, he was standing there in the middle of the wilderness, standing in the water, standing near the water, and he would yell things like, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. He would say, "All you Jews going by, you need to mikvah. You need to get in the water, and you need to be cleansed. You need to do repentance in the water and be cleansed of your sin. For the kingdom of heaven is near. The one who is Messiah is near and is coming, and you need to be prepared and ready for Him." But John did radical things, and he lived in radical repentance. He embodied an outward showing of repentance and radical living for the Jews so that when they looked at John, they said, That guy is in repentance. That guy is living a holy life. For the Jew is called to be set apart from the world, which the Jews were called to do this by the law of Moses. They were called to be completely set apart, but a new covenant, a new way was on the way. John would show repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus would come and fulfill all of the law and the prophets and show them the true way. And the real meaning of what God was calling people to do. Repentance of the heart. Not just outward works. You see people doing this still to this day. I mean, a very classic illustration is, um, because everybody semi-understands this, will be confession um, to the priest, right? It's like I'm gonna go confess on the weekend and then I'm gonna go and live like hell during the week and then I'm gonna go back and confess on the weekend and live like hell, then confess and just keep doing this ritual um, because it works. The fact of the matter is is the heart isn't being changed. Uh, What does it matter if somebody walks in and confesses a bunch of things to uh, a priest in some cabinet and then turns around and starts hating and hurting people during the week and then just repeats the process and thinks they are forgiven? Has anything actually taken place spiritually? Or is this just an external act? It's a surface thing. John's radical disciples were probably wearing the camel skin, leather belts, long hair, beards like homeless men, and they're asking Jesus these radical dudes, why aren't you like John the Baptist? Hey you, Yeshua, why aren't you like John the Baptist? Why aren't you like the Pharisees? Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? What they're really saying is, why don't your disciples, Jesus, fast like we do? Like we do. Like we do. Don't you know who we are? Here's the key and the dilemma. The guys were caught up in what other people were doing and not focused on their own holiness. Point number one, if you're taking notes, worry about your own holiness more than others. You worry about being right with God more than everyone else being right with God. And as you do so, watch this, you will help other people become more holy and come close to God. As you focus on being close to the Lord yourself in doing so, making that priority, you then will do the greatest work of helping others become holy. No, no, I need to focus on others becoming holy first and then maybe I'll become holy. Uh, Au contraire, my friend, not how it works. If you get so caught up focusing on what everyone else is doing, you find yourself in a little thing called legalism. This is a form of legalism. Why doesn't that person read their Bible like me? Why Why isn't that person as faithful as me? Why doesn't that person go to Bible study like me? Why doesn't that person study the Bible like me? Why doesn't that person, uh, why does that person take that liberty? I know it's not sin, but I don't think it's wise. Why aren't they more strict like me? Why aren't they more holy like me? Why doesn't that person fast like I do? Why don't they have self-control like me, these guys would say, to Jesus. What's with your guy? What, do you, what are you guys doing? It's Thursday. You see, according to tradition, Mondays and Thursdays, the religious would fast in Israel. Mondays and Thursdays, maybe it's a Thursday night, they're at Matthew's house and they're feasting. There's the wine, there's the bread, there's the food. Jesus is laughing it up, hanging out with sinners, eating food. It's Thursday night. This is a fast day. And they walk up and like, dude, what are you doing you're hanging with sinners, big no, no. And then number two, what are you doing fast, What are you doing eating and not fasting on a Thursday? Why don't your disciples fast like we do? When your outward holiness is more about being seen than pleasing God, it's not holy anymore. Let me say it again. When your outward holiness is more important about being seen than pleasing God, it's not holy anymore. You lost it. it has nothing to do with growing in relationship with God, it has everything about receiving the praise of people. Colossians 2:16, the apostle Paul had to write about these problems because the Jewish people were arguing about it all the time. He says, "So don't let anyone don't amen. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink." or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths, for these rules are only a shadow of the reality to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Verse 17. Verse 18 says, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together in its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. These disciples of John are still learning and growing. And it is a great question, and Jesus answers them with what true holiness really looks like. But even the apostle Paul argued, like, what are you guys doing? You're seriously arguing about these things? Who has better outward holiness? You're not doing this and this and this and this and this and this and this this like me. It sounds like you're burdened by what you're doing and you want other people to be burdened by it as well. Interesting. It's not to be a burden of pleasing the Lord with what you're doing. It's supposed to be a blessing. Well, you need to read a devotional like me every day. Why? I want you to spiritually grow and suffer like me. Are you spiritually growing? Is it fruitful? Is it helpful? I hope so. If it's not, maybe it's time to step back and really analyze what you're doing. Are you doing this so that you can say to other people that you do it every day? Are you doing this because you really want to grow in relationship with God? The motive has to be right. The heart has to be right. Worry about your own holiness more than others. And as you do so, you will help others become more holy and close to the Lord. It's not you have to do like I do. It's... You know, I think it's great. It's been a blessing to my life to walk through the word of God and read a chapter a day. I really recommend it. I encourage you to do it. It, I think it'll be a blessing for you. But hey, if you only get in two verses, that's great too. Try to get in the word daily. That's the meaning. That's the principle. To meditate on it day and night. We've got to look at the meaning. Not these outward surface rituals. I used to be so burdened. Oh my gosh. Just in my early 20s, I used to be so burdened by trying to follow the commands and ways of God. I mean, I, it literally is like a giant weight on my back. And every time I sinned, I was just messed up over it. And then my sin turned into gray areas and places in which I knew God was not actually demanding that I have to do every single day, but I I, I felt it. It's like if I missed one Sunday, oh my gosh, I'm going to hell. Oh, if I didn't read my devotion that day, oh no, I'm going to hell. Oh no, if I didn't pray that, oh no, my relationship with God is messed up, I missed it. And I forgot that Jesus did the whole work for me already. He did all of it. And that's what connects me to God, and watch this, frees me to go to church. Freeze me to read my Bible. Freeze me to walk with him in obedience. I'm not fulfilling any list of things. I'm just enjoying my walk with God, loving him and serving him with all of my life. That's the life that he wants us to carry. It's life in that abundantly. Worry about your own holiness. Don't worry about other people. Encourage them. Encourage them. Look, I love spiritual disciplines. I love them. But the, the, the day that they become bitterness to me and poison to my spiritual walk, this is danger. This is what the enemy loves to do. Take the holy things of God, like reading the word of God daily, and make it an absolute burden to your back. It was so enjoyable in the beginning, and now it's torturous, and you don't even get anything out of it. We can't allow this to happen. How do we do it? We have to break religion. We have to break ritual. Stop the rituals. And get back to the simplicity of seeking Jesus with all your heart. Find out what it looks like. I used to have these very disciplined rituals that I would have to do. And I would feel sick spiritually. I'd feel burdened and overwhelmed in my being if I didn't do it. Because I didn't have proper theology. And understanding what Christ has done. It would burden me to such a degree that I didn't want to do it anymore. And what I have to do now, what I choose to do now is this. I'm always looking for the path that is going to bring me closest to God. Some days I'm reading a couple chapters. Some days I'm listening to a sermon. Some days I'm cranking up the worship and just singing to God with all of my heart. Some days I'm making deposits in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes the Lord leads me to minister and gets into a deep conversation with somebody, it just blesses me. I'm always looking for communion with Him. and. I do set disciplines in my life, just like working out. I like to work out physically. I like to get in the gym, but the workout doesn't have to be perfectly the same every single time, lest I actually grow to a certain degree and then miss growth in the future because i plateaued. So it's good to change it up every once in a while and start working in a different direction, still building spiritually, still growing, but not becoming burnt out on growing spiritually. We have to learn this. This is what these guys are doing. You stop fasting. And Jesus is about to say, well, let's look at what's better. Are you ready? Verse 15, Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus answers them with this question. You want to know why my disciples are not fasting today? He says, can't Let me put it into plain English for you. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the groom is with them? The answer is, of course, no. He says, if you're at a wedding and the bride and groom are there, will guests be crying because they aren't there? No, they won't be crying because they are there. They will do this instead. Celebrate because they are there. And part of that celebration at the wedding is feasting. The Jewish wedding and context of that day is a seven day event. Did you know that? It's like some of you are like, oh no, I gotta go to a wedding. You know, it's like, oh great, we gotta get this. I gotta be there for two, three hours. Okay, how are we gonna get this in our schedule? Try seven days. Your vacation time you thought you had, gone, okay? We're spending it on their wedding. Somebody else's wedding in the family, are you serious? Seven day event, everyone takes a time off and parties for seven days. This is probably the rudest thing you could do at a wedding is say to everybody, sorry, I can't eat because I'm fasting. Aren't are, you going to feast? Look at all this food here for seven. No, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't eat, I can't. I'm fasting. <laughs> Especially the, the bride and groom, right? You took the time off. You're there for seven days. You're looking at the bride and groom like, feast with us, celebrate with us. It's the joy of our life. It's the only time. This is the only time we're getting married and we're here with you for this celebration. He's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You don't understand. I'm fasting. I have to keep my rituals and fast this week. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have time. I'll never forget when I goofed on this big time, I didn't realize the heart of what was going on. Uh, I, Jeff Lassane, who was the teaching pastor at Harvest uh, when I was there on staff, um, he had asked me to do the great privilege of praying for the communion in front of the whole church. I mean, we're talking like probably 5,000, 7,000 people will be in attendance there on each of those Sunday mornings. And the, the opportunity to pray for communion... And I'm a young guy at this point. Um, I had never, I hadn't taken the stage that much at that point. Um, probably in my early 20s, and I was working for the youth department. And uh, he says, Josh, we'd love to have you pray for communion this Sunday. Would you like to do that? That's my answer. Um, I got uh, to check with the youth pastor to see if he thinks it's okay. <laughs> Jeff was saying, the big boss, like the big boss who writes all these guys' checks, you know, I'm telling him that I have to check with this guy over here to see if it's okay to pray for communion. I went back to my boss, who's Steve Wilber, and many of you guys know him. He was the youth pastor at that time. I said, Steve, Jeff asked me to uh, to pray for communion, but I told him I needed to come ask you first. Steve's like, you idiot! What, you did what? You never, you never do that. You." This is a huge privilege. What are you doing? Get over there and get praying. Go back to him. Go say you're sorry and say, thank you for the opportunity. I would love to. I missed the whole point. I'm sorry. I'm fasting. Is this the week that you should be fasting of all weeks? Jesus is saying to him, the wedding is now. And he says this, I am the groom at the wedding. And you were at the wedding. Do you really think now is the time to fast? You can fast when the wedding is over. You can fast all year if you want to. Fast 300 days a year if you want to. But hello, the wedding is now. I'm here. Why wouldn't you want to eat with me? Why wouldn't you want to celebrate with me now? Which is more holy? Point number two, if you're taking notes, our good works should enhance, not diminish, our relationship with God. You see, the Pharisees and even John's disciples have made fasting about ritual, religion, and checking boxes instead of being about true holiness and growing a relationship with the Lord. Because if they did, they would see, watch this, if it wasn't about religion, they would see that the Lord is right there before them wanting to eat and fellowship with them, and they're missing the whole point. Are you going to say to Jesus, Sorry, I can't feast with you. I'm fasting. Wait, you're going to say to Jesus, I'm sorry, I can't feast with you. I'm fasting. If God invites you to a meal, are you going to tell him you can't because you have to keep your ritual? Hello, the whole point of fasting and praying is to bring you closer to God and closer to Jesus. If the Lord is sitting there asking you to eat with him and fellowship, you are doing the greater thing and growing deeper than ever right in that moment. And that's the point that Jesus is making. He says, hello, I am the groom at the wedding and you're telling me you're not going to eat with me because you're too busy fasting to grow in relationship with me. You're doing that ritual to grow in relationship with me when I'm the one who made it and is telling you right now you should fellowship with me. This is what I'm talking about. We're so caught up in the ritual, so caught up in the discipline that we miss the king. That's why the Lord says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the groom is there with them? No, the days will come, but the days will come when the groom is taken away from you and then they will fast. Fast. Then they will mourn. Then it will be time. He says there will be a day in the future when the groom is gone and then these disciples will fast and pray like never before, desiring just to commune with Jesus again. They will say, remember the days when we used to sit at the table with him and feast? Now he's gone. We were too busy, caught up doing rituals like fasting and we missed the King of Kings was sitting right in front of us. Now we really need to fast and pray. Now we fast and pray day and night because we want so badly to connect with him. Fasting from the things of the world that just distract us away from him. And I just want to commune with him. I just want a a focused conversation with him. I want to sit down with him and eat and drink with him. I want to spend time with him. You think that people in heaven are going to uh, go to the feast of the lamb. And they're going to walk in and say things to God like, Oh wow, this is a beautiful feast. I can't eat. I'm fasting. Hello? You're in heaven. You don't need to fast. You're with the king. You Bible students, of course, know that the Lord would be arrested and taken from them. The groom would be arrested and taken from them and die, but raised from the dead. And then 40 days later, he would ascend into heaven, Acts chapter 1. And the disciples would literally fast and pray for the Holy Spirit to come right after that. Literally start fasting and praying and seeking God for the Holy Spirit, the Comforter to come and minister to them because Jesus was off the earth. You see, when your holy works are not growing your relationship with God, stop, examine your spiritual life, and see what's going on. How are you nailing religion and missing your relationship with God again? Don't allow yourself to come to church and not grow in a relationship with God. It's the worst thing that could ever happen. I went to church this week. Did you grow? Well, kinda. What's the point? Man, that song's great. I really like that one. I don't like that song. Why are we singing this one again? What are we here for? Are we here to commune with him or argue about rituals? When the ritual, again, takes away from your relationship with God and relationship with other people, we are missing it. 1 Samuel 15, but Samuel declared, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as obedience to his voice? Behold, obedience is better than sacrifice, and attentiveness is better than the fat of rams. The Lord wants obedience, which causes you to love Him and love people more. If His commands are becoming a burden, you are missing the whole point of His commands. I'm just telling you. If you have adopted a form of Christianity or religion in which it is absolutely burdensome and overwhelming, you're missing the whole gospel, you're missing the whole point. For Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Stop working to try to get to heaven. Just stop it. Stop coming to church to get to heaven. Stop reading your Bible to get to heaven. Stop trying to work to get to heaven. Jesus has done the work already and he just wants to bless you with the gift of heaven by simply calling on him as Lord and Savior. He makes you his child and welcomes you into heaven, forgives you of your sin forever. It's an amazing gift that only Christ does. And that causes me to want to work for him for the rest of eternity. Gladly, I gladly walk in obedience. I gladly submit to him. I gladly, it's not a burden for me, it's a blessing. I love walking with him because of what he has done for me. He says, please, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, my yoke, my ways, my commands are easy and my burden is light. So if it's heavy and hard, you're missing it. Walk with God. Enjoy your relationship with him. He's given you heaven already, you Christians. You've been forgiven. You're going to heaven when you die. Nobody can take that away. Walk in obedience. Love your God. Love love your neighbor. Enjoy your relationship with God. We're walking around looking at people. Hey, hey, why aren't you fasting like we do? Fasting is not bad. It's good. And you should do it to build your relationship with God. When you need to, you can say no to the things of the world. You can say no to food for a day. We do this as a church, but I just invite people to join us in doing so. Fasting is a good thing. It teaches self-discipline, but it also allows us to grow in our relationship with the Lord, get the distractions of the world away from us. It's better just to stop and spend time with Jesus in prayer than to continue doing some ritual, religious act. We're missing the whole point. Let me put it this way it's far better to eat food and pray and seek the Lord genuinely than to fast from food and pray as a religious act. It's better to feast and pray genuinely in confession and repentance and relationship with God than to fast outwardly, starve yourself, and then say, Hey, look at how holy I am, everybody. Look what I did. is far worse and actually detrimental to our relationship with God. Then Jesus gives puzzles to them to try to figure out this ultimate picture. It's a concept. I'm not going to break down each of the pictures, but I'll help you to see as a whole so you can understand what Jesus is up to. Look at verse 16 and 17. He says, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. neither is new wine skin I'm sorry, is new wine put into old wine skins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wine skins, and so both are preserved. You,, like, ah, that sounds like a, a crazy puzzle. What's going on here? Well, the disciples now are for sure challenged in their thinking. It's better not to fast and instead just to hang out with Jesus and eat? It's contrary to the way that they have thought for so long. You see, the Jewish nation, Bible students, were called to be set apart outwardly and inwardly. So nations could visually see the difference that this entire nation was set apart for God. Most of the Jews got the outward part right, but they missed the inward. They would do the outward rituals, but inwardly, it was just, it was nothing. It was just a ritual. It was a part of their culture. It's just what they do. But inwardly, they were missing relationship with God. Now in the New Covenant, the gospel has not just come to the Jewish nation, but the whole world. And no longer are we set apart by an outward sign of circumcision or the food we eat, Or festivals or Sabbaths, rituals, we are now set apart inwardly, being filled with the Holy Spirit of God, watch this, which produces godly spiritual living, and we put on the spiritual clothes of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control, and people will know we are the nation of God by how, not by how we look, not by what we eat, but by how we live, how we love and serve our neighbors." No longer simply an outward expression—clothes, or food we eat, or rituals, or festivals. These things are fine too, but we have to have the transformation inside, which only comes from the Holy Spirit. Last week, I was—we uh, were surfing, and I—I um, uh, I was riding the—I was riding a soft top, and um, I—the soft top board is like a foam board with a—it's got a nice. Um, glass bottom that um, basically it rides like a a really nice board but it's a foam top and so I got on this board and um, we were having fun and uh, I drop in on this wave and I'm coming down and there's a kid paddling up he's probably like 18 19 no actually he's 20 yeah yeah, 18 19 I think you just moved to San Diego to uh, go to school there I found out, and so anyways, he's dropping in on a wave, and he's pa- or I'm dropping in on a wave, and he's paddling on the front side of me, and generally, you're supposed to paddle on the back side of a surfer so he can continue to go on the wave and enjoy the wave. Well, he's paddling in front of me, hoping that I'm going to dig down and get around him. Well, it doesn't happen, and I come, and I'm like, I'm on a, uh, this is what I'm thinking. I'm on a soft top. It's going to hit him. It's foam. It's no big deal. Let's just do this, and so... Um, <laughs> This is the way the surfers think, like you're going to, if you, if you, anyway, so uh, I come up on him and I'm just going to nick the back of his legs and, uh, and I think everything will be fine. Well, he slows and doesn't keep paddling and stalls in the front of the wave and I hammer right into him. And, um, and again, it's a foam uh, board, but um, it's, it's magical. It's the Lord probably. because my fin sinks right in to the side of his board, and I mean a ding like this thick and this deep in there, and I'm like looking at it, and of course, uh, we get into a little uh, confrontation there on the waters, like, gosh, you couldn't go around? I'm like, dude, you dropped in right in front of me. What are you doing? He doesn't know I'm a pastor, okay? And uh, he, and uh, and I look at him and I say, well, you, you're generally supposed to, etiquette is you should have gone behind me you know he's like well okay boss whatever you know and so uh, I'm like okay and I'm sitting on the water he gets out because his board's gonna waterlog and I'm thinking ah lord I need to go help this kid what have I done uh I'm right according to the law (laughs) (laughs) but um I need to go help this kid so I um I actually told him on the water as he's paddling out, he's like, I'll, I'll repair that ding for you right now. Go get out of the water, and I got a repair kit in the, in the bag. I'll repair it for you right now. He's like, yeah, whatever, boss, you know, and so he goes on his way. So I take out the board, and I go up to him, and I talk to him. I say, hey, man, let me see the ding, and so, you know, he's all bummed, and I start looking at the ding. I'm like, that thing's way too big. There's no way you're going to. We're going to repair that, you know. Um, let me give you some cash. He's like, Oh no 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 no! Uh, you you can't do that. You know you can't give me any cash. I said no no, it's the right thing to do. Let me give you some cash. You know that's that's going to cost you some bucks to get that professionally repaired. And I know that's a six seven hundred dollar board. Looks brand new. You just got it, huh? He's like yeah, I just moved here to San Diego for college to uh, come and hang out and do college and surf. And I said well let, let me di- let me repair that. You know let me let me give you some cash. And so he's like very hesitant, doesn't know what to do. And so he comes over to the umbrella and uh he's like oh my gosh this is your family you know we got the whole set up there I'm like yeah here's the fam you know he sees my kids and he and he walks up I was like your husband's nice you know? And, uh, <laughs> you know like uh yeah let me he didn't think I was actually going to do it but I got to Apple pay him some cash and I think he went away just like shocked one thing I noticed about him is around his neck he had a cross sitting there on his neck this kid that was he was wearing it in the water I didn't tell him I was a pastor I just uh I just let him go and just let, let him experience grace and I said hey man I just said, hey man, Lord bless you, you know, thanks so much, you know, I'm, I hope it works out. And uh, he walked away again with a bit of mind blown. I am not the hero of this story, I'm, I'm the villain, okay. <laughs> um, I, um, but, but when the grace of God moves you, again from, from ritual and discipline and following law and rules, in, into a place of grace in which Jesus would say, yeah, David broke the law of God when he went into the temple and ate of the showbread. You're not supposed to do that, only the priests are supposed to touch that. He walked in and ate it like a snack. But David was not in wrong, David was not wrong in doing so. When Jesus corrects the Pharisees about his disciples eating on the Sabbath because they picked some grain, he's like, yeah guys, they're working to pull some grain out of the field because they're hungry, you're missing it. This is the new covenant that Jesus is talking about, the new way. Jesus is telling them that the ways of old are not the full heart of God. The true heart of God has always been about the heart, not following rules. That's why this new wine placed in old wineskins won't work. The fermentation will cause the seams of the wine pouch to burst or the wine bottle to explode. It will tear it apart. The new fabric can't be sewn into old fabric because when you wash it, it will split apart. The seams will break. We need new wineskins for new wine, and we need a new piece of fabric altogether. Jesus is that way. He is that truth. He is that life. Here is the new wineskins and the new wine of the gospel. The old ways of the temple, praise God, are done. Fulfilled and accomplished. The veil of the temple has been torn from top to bottom. And the entrance into, the, into God has been opened through, not through animal sacrifice. Not through animal sacrifice anymore. But through one sacrifice that has taken place once and for all. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Lord Jesus. We are free to live the law and we are free from the law of God. In the Old Testament... We are now called to live the law of love, the law of Christ. And he is the fulfillment of the whole law. And he is showing us how to walk with God, our Father. Communion and relationship is far better than ritual. No more going to the temple. We are the temple of God. His spirit lives in us now. It's not through ritual religion and and doing all these religious things. It's not how it is. I love David's heart on this. I want to close with this, and we're going to enter into communion. I hope it ministers to you. I want you to hear the heart of King David, who knew the law of Moses. This is what he prays after he had sinned greatly before the Lord. He cries out to God. He says this, Psalm 51, verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. I love this word, renew a right spirit, a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore, here it is, Christians, some of you need this today. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. I haven't been joyful in a while. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Make me willing to obey you. That I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves, David prayed. Then I will joyfully sing your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire sacrifice of animals, or I would offer one. You don't want burnt offering, he says. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. That's what God wants. All the exterior was just pictures of things to come. If the heart isn't right, we've missed the whole thing. Communion and relationship is better than ritual. We're going to go into a time of communion as we close today, and we get to get our lives right with God, and we get to remember the work that he has done. We're going to pray and get our hearts right with the Lord. The band's going to play a song um, we will hand out the communion elements, hopefully you have them already, if you don't, ushers will be coming around to get them into your hands, and then we'll partake together and we'll sing one more song in celebration, and we'll be on our way. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we ask that you would forgive us for continuing many ways in just ritual and vain repetition we just do it because we do it because we do it. But it's not doing anything for us spiritually. We, we've forgotten the heart of the matter. And whatever it is, Lord, I, I pray for each of us that we would turn to you now with all of our hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would repent of our sinful ways, even that of self-righteousness. Just doing things because we think it makes us holy, but our heart isn't in it. We don't really, we're not really growing close to you in relationship. We're missing something. Lord, we ask that you renew those spiritual disciplines. We ask that you would renew those works and those acts that we like to do that once brought us great joy and peace and rest. I pray, Lord, that you would take our works and use them for your glory and cause them to draw us deeper into relationship with you. I pray, Lord, for your church, that we would be those who live lives of repentance, a broken and contrite heart, a broken spirit before you, just walking with you, want to love you and serve you and love those around us. Teach us your ways, O God. As we enter into communion, Father, would you prepare our hearts? Would you ready us? Would you help us to make things right with you? Help us to partake for your glory and deepen our relationship with you in this moment. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.